Welcome to Just a Phase, a podcast about modern parenting, episode 15, The Family Midwife. This week, ahead of the International Day of the Midwife, we will talk to a real, live midwife about her practice. Plus, uh, talking to your kids about civil disobedience. Yes. <laughs> Being uh, centered and present and aware when you when you are with your baby. Yeah. And Mother's Day. And Mother's Day. With right. a grammar quiz. Yes. All right, let's get to it. Hello, I'm Whitney Crispell. I'm mom to Vivian and Cecilia, who is four months old. And I'm Drew Ludwig, father to three daughters, ages 10, 7, and 5. And this is your reminder, uh, on this podcast, we will swear. So if you're worried about little ears, they might hear some swears. Sounds good. I hope there are swears. <laughs> What's up? How are you? <laughs> I am doing really, really well. Good. Um, yeah. Uh, off the air before we, we before we recorded, uh, we were catching up on uh, Mr. Donald Trump came to our town and yeah. visited uh, right before the primary, and uh, I was part of a crew that. Uh, visited Donald Trump visiting us. So, so yeah, so you were part of a group that... Interrupted him mm-hmm. and then was removed from the First Niagara Center uh, where he was speaking. So that took a lot of work and a lot of energy and a lot of planning, but um, it, was a, it was a pretty neat thing. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I have a lot of questions of, about it and we can... We'll continue probably to talk about it off air but specific to parenting did your kids know you were doing this and like how did you how have you talked to them about it um i we've talked about donald trump i haven't talked to him about the event yet um i just said things like um i have to go to work and (laughs) things like that um i mean it's so this was a lot of planning and it was a lot of planning with people um and planning and training and things like that. And it was a lot of that without people that have um, children. Right. So um, it was a little bit uh, taxing on the family, just like being gone a lot of nights uh, in in the lead up to it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, my oldest caught me watching a Facebook video, video of people being removed from the first Niagara Center. And she said, why are the police dragging the children? And I said, oh, well, they're not children, right? <laughs> and I said, because they didn't want them there. <laughs> and I, I really, I had a little bit of a crisis of, a, of conscience about, like, I feel like I should tell her the whole story because she's 10. Yeah. Um, but it it was the wrong time to do it. It was bedtime. And so, well, I'm still figuring out how to talk to my kids about it. What are your hesitations? Um... It's, I mean, part of it is I don't want my kids to use civil, civil disobedience on me. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> right? Like, um, <laughs> so, and I, part of it is I don't know how, like, they'll remember it and talk about it with other people. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, part of it is, like, I don't want to um, completely shelter them from uh, racism and misogyny and all of the other uh, horrible stuff uh, that's out there, but I also don't want it to be 
uh, too incredibly real too fast. And yeah. I, I don't know. I can already hear myself saying that's your privilege talking, but um, I'm still figuring that out. That Yeah, I hear you on both counts. Because I, I do think there's something to be said for protecting childhood as a place of, you know, innocence, whatever that means to you. And um, I've started to do things like not listen to the radio constantly when Viv's around because I'm like, okay, she's going to, she's, she's definitely old enough where she's going to start absorbing all this information. And, um, and it, again, it's not like, I don't think she should be aware of it. And it is a privilege for her to not have to be, but, but yeah, yeah no, it's a fine line. Yeah. yeah. And it, and it's weird. I mean, my, my, my oldest two go to school with a lot of uh, refugee kids. Mm-hmm. And so like, they're very aware of Donald Trump and what he's talking about. Um, and like, they don't really have a choice, but to be aware of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, and so my oldest, she, she knows the basics, uh, but she doesn't know how I interrupted it. Yeah. Cool. Well, keep us posted. Okay. <laughs> uh, so you, you tell us uh, something good from your life, something cheerier. Uh, <laughs> hmm. Well, I, I don't know if this is cheerier, but I'm, de- I'm having a, uh, I was going to say maybe, I was going to call it a modern parenting dilemma, but I don't think it's modern. I think this is just a parenting dilemma that has happened before and will continue forever. Um, but, you know, Cece's four months old now and is so cute. I'm biased, but I just think she's so cute. She's in this really adorable stage. And I'm finding myself having these moments of like, sadness and grief at the fact that she's not going to be a baby forever even while she's still a baby while also simultaneously being like "Ugh, I need some independence here like I'm looking forward to her growing up and not being 100% dependent on me for her food right because I breastfeed and that's that's she's exclusively breastfed at this point so it's this thing where I'm like, please don't grow up. Please grow up. I need a night out. <laughs> you need mindfulness so you can be present in the moment. I know. And a, oh, whoa. And here, there she is. here she is joining us. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, like, she, yeah, I, it it does help. Like, I look into her little smiling face and I'm like, I feel like that is a, a dose of mindfulness. But, um, but it, at this point with Viv, like... In, when she was Cece's age, I was back at work, right? So I worked for the first, um, you know, nine months of her life. And so I had like, at, I worked four days a week and one day from home. And so I had these four days where I was gone for at least eight hours a day, just kind of being me and being myself. And she was getting used to someone else and drinking uh, milk from a bottle. And with Cece, I don't have that. And, you know, obviously in, in that's my choice and I'm really I am really happy about it but it has been a little bit different in terms of my like like sometimes I reach a moment where I'm like oh my god I can't like I I gotta get out of here for a little while I cannot be a caregiver for like one more second I just need to be me right (laughs) so that's you know it's it's going on a little bit yeah with me but yeah Today is a uh, day off of schools for us, so uh, 
there was already craziness in my house this morning before I left, and uh, they're already off of their adventure. They're yeah. What are, what's the craziness? Gonna, oh, it's just my kids are very sensitive to disruptions in routine. So yeah, uh, not going to school means a whole day to do stuff, and um, that's also a whole day. I mean, my kids are very into um, starting fights with one another. Like that used to be like <laughs> it's one of their hobbies. Yeah, it used to be like fourth or fifth on their list of things to do, and because it was you know watching TV is the first priority, and then playing with friends is the second priority, and eating eating might be second, right? <laughs> but then like it was fourth. Uh, was oh, if I can't do any of that, then I'll have a fight with my sister. Um, and like, I feel like it's definitely moved up the list where they just like start stuff. Like they'll just. We're awake. Let's fight. I kinda yeah. Do you know? Is it more like with the older two, or does the younger one also get in on it? Right now, the younger one is the instigator. Oh really? More than anything else. So yeah, I know nothing about kids this age. I didn't expect that. It's. It seems like it cycles, and <laughs> but I really thought you were gonna say it seems like it's psycho. <laughs> <laughs> She's getting there. She is getting there, which is why I don't want her to learn civil disobedience. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she'll use it against you. I mean, she basically. I mean, she, she. The only part of it that she doesn't get is the nonviolent part. <laughs> <laughs> oh so, so maybe she does need to be to have some training. <laughs> um yeah oh you're gonna come home and she's gonna be like we shall overcome oh i would love it if she started singing with yeah edit that out (laughs) (laughs) all right it's staying in yeah (laughs) um that's yeah i'm having a hard time putting words into it but i mean she's got all the techniques okay She, she will scream she will drop to the floor you know um that's why I'm happy to be here recording a podcast. <laughs> yeah, nice. So this is this is going to be our um, the last podcast that airs before Mother's Day. So, so how many you... shopping days do people have? Left? <laughs> I don't know. What do you do for Mother's Day in your family? Uh, most of the time, the greatest thing that I can do for the mother of my kids is. Uh, make sure that there's a Sunday New York Times Ooh. and a uh, cup of coffee, and then me and the kids go somewhere. I was going to say in time alone to read exactly. it. Exactly. So um, that's that's ordinarily the plan. That's um, a great idea. I like it. I like it. And then um, I do different things for my mom, different years, and I haven't figured out what I'm doing this year, and I haven't figured out if mom listens to the podcast yet so even if i knew what i was doing i'd probably have to keep my mouth shut uh what's your plan i don't know yet we i usually spend it you know part of it with my own mother still um and and figure it out but we're like my family is big big celebrators of like birthdays and also mothers and fathers day like you know, you got to do something so there's gonna be big. A thing. So there will be something. We'll do go. We'll go do something together. Mm-hmm. Um, um, yeah. But so, what you said about what you know your wife likes to do for Mother's Day, yeah, just have alone time. <laughs> it when I was in college, I babysat for um, this professor and his wife, and I got to be kind of friendly with with his wife. And I remember her, like she had two 
young children. She was probably like in my boat now. It would be like me being a friend with a college student. And I remember her saying to me that she, for Mother's Day, she asked her husband to watch her kids so she could go to the movies alone. And she was feeling like a lot of guilt about it. And, you know, I just didn't, I was like, yeah, that's fine. I didn't really relate to it. But now I look back and I'm like, hero, (laughs) like, I love that you rejected this notion of having to spend the day with your kids and instead are just doing whatever the hell you want. So uh, Mm. pop grammar quiz, Uh uh, and this does have a point to it. Pop grammar? Yes. Do you know how to spell Mother's Day? I mean, where the apostrophe goes. Is it S apostrophe? It is not. No, it's not because my iPhone autocorrects it to capital M and then like possessive like apostrophe s singular possessive yeah and why because it is um and and i say this as a uh person who uh you know me and my wife we've had kids through adoption and we struggled to have kids and foster care and all kinds of like ups and downs it is not a day to celebrate mothers plural it is a day to celebrate your mother Mm. Um, so I, and I think that's important to lift up just because so many folks have, um, struggled like with like just a big celebration of motherhood, like freaks out some people yeah, and makes some people sad, but yeah. everyone, well, not everyone. I mean, you still have stuff where it's like, oh, I don't really want to celebrate my mom. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's your choice and mm-hmm. you know, but it's a day to celebrate your own mother. Yeah, you're right. And then there's also, like, go to the Wikipedia page on Mother's Day. It's really interesting. It has, like, a radical history. It does. I know. It's yeah. awesome. We think Hallmark invented it, but, like, peace activists invented it. Yeah. Tell us tell us that. Do you remember oh, it off the top of your head? Oh, I didn't look it up. Well, uh, it was, well, it was like... Civil War. It was after the Civil War. Um, yeah. And it was mothers saying, like, the, the only way that we're going to stop the loss of uh, children and spouses is if... Uh, women and mothers band together to make and maintain peace and to resolve conflicts differently. That is awesome. Well, I'll find the wiki page and and put it in the show notes. Yeah, because that's totally from memory, and I haven't read it since last Mother's Day. (sighs) I love that. That's like, I really, and I always apologize to my Irish husband about this, but I cannot stand St. Patrick's Day. (laughs) There's a lot of Irish people that can't stand St. Patrick's Day. And I, I can't stand it like for how it exists in my immediate neighborhood, which is just like a bunch of drunk people dressed in like in green and increasingly like really for the women, at least like really revealing green outfits. Like it's an excuse to wear like green body paint. I just don't understand it. Anyway, I don't have a problem with revealing outfits, but it's just so bizarre. Yeah. And I think that has a lot to do like with where it falls on the calendar. Like oftentimes like that's the first like slightly warm weekend. Yeah. And then alcohol makes you feel warmer. But sometimes it's like the really, it's the weekend we all get depressed because it's like really cold again. Anyway, but I have told Sean, I would totally be willing to have a, uh, St. Patrick's Day party if we can celebrate the radical parts of Irish history and like do like some songs and some poetry and some reading of like radical Irish texts. So yeah. this is my new thing inspired by this conversation about Mother's Day is so to, I, to try to find the radical history of holidays that I'm like, meh. Yeah, I, I, I like justice and goodness and learning. 
<laughs> but you think this is bullshit? <laughs> no, I just, like I feel like every like every culture needs a, an excuse to party and celebrate. Yeah, too, yeah, right? I know. So, All right, like Dan Savage, like in his podcast, like he calls Halloween like Pride for straight people, right? <laughs> That is so accurate. Right? So. Oh, my God. Like, yeah, like it's like you get out. Every culture finds oh a way to, like, you know, dress yeah. up and no, you're right. let sexuality out. And yep. Drink yep. too much. And yep. If it's not Halloween, it's Mardi Gras. And if it's not Mardi Gras, maybe it's St. Patrick's Day for some people. So I'm a cranky old person and I should just I didn't chill. say that. <laughs> but I will get off your lawn before the end <laughs> of the day. <laughs> Oh man! All right, so let's uh, let's get to today's guest um, in honor of International Day of the Midwife on May fifth. Yes, that is a thing. Of course, it's a thing. Of Cinco de Mayo. I know. I wonder why they picked that day. We'll ask Christina. Um, but in honor of that day, we are going to talk to a midwife. Um, so, without further delay, let's hear our interview with Christina Kingsley. Yeah. Today we are sitting down with Christina Kingsley, a certified nurse midwife, certified professional midwife, and a women's health nurse practitioner. Christina is the great-granddaughter of a traditional midwife and has been caring for women and their families for over 15 years. She has also pursued additional education in integrative women's health care, breastfeeding support, Reiki, women's sexuality, and natural fertility awareness. On her path to and through midwifery, Christina has attended births in homes, hospitals, and at a freestanding birth center. She is also my midwife, full disclosure, and attended both of my births, one of which was in a hospital and the other in my home. Not only is Christina going to talk to us today about midwifery care during pregnancy and childbirth, we're also going to uh, discuss midwifery for women and girls throughout their lives. This is something that Whitney and I, as parents to our daughters, are interested in. Each, not our daughters together. <laughs> respective. I read our like, respective daughters like, oh no, we didn't have children together. So Whitney and I each have our own daughters, <laughs> five between the two of us, and we're interested in exploring. So let's get to it. Welcome, Christina. Hi, thanks for having me. Thank you for being Exciting. with us. Um, I'd love it if, if you could just tell us a little bit about your practice. Uh, who you are and who you see and what you do. Sure. I've um, I've been in midwife for 15 years, like Whit said, and I've been in my own private practice, my own independent practice for the last almost six years and started attending home birth and providing well woman care at that time. So I see women all throughout their lifespan. So my youngest client is 14 and my oldest is 86 and I get to see everybody in between. And... Um, in New York State, women midwives can also care for newborns during the neonatal period, which is most accepted as the first 28 days of life. So for my babies born at home, I'm also their primary care provider until they see a pediatrician, which is usually within the first or second weeks okay. of their birth. Yeah. Um, so uh, one of the things that I'm curious about, because I am, I am the ignorant one, right? Mm -hmm. Like Whitney's worked with you before, and my kids yeah. came to me... Um, through adoption. Yeah, <laughs> so. you guys have a great balance. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
But what's the difference between midwifery and OBGYN? That's such a great question. So there are really distinct models of care, and I don't think that everybody really has that awareness, but those are the words that I use. So there is the midwife model of care, and there's the medical model of care, and both have their pros and cons. And everybody resonates with one different model of care, and so it just depends on what is right for each person. But in general, just like a real brief overview, the midwifery model of care focuses on women's health and pregnancy as normal physiologic stages and transitions of a woman's life that are, you know, usually best left to their own devices and best supported with, hi, Cece, (laughs) best supported with good nutrition and education and teaching and lots of love and support and, and good relationships with your care provider. I always talk about the midwifery model of care having some main tenets, and one of those is shared responsibility. Another one is informed choice. And then there is the medical model of care that focuses more on pathology and surgery and more on the... Um, the focus of healthcare being, you know, the realm of doctors and physicians and that they know best and that's their specialty. And like I said, both have their pros and cons and it just depends on what you resonate with. So I think that, well, I know that some of our listeners don't yet have children. Mm-hmm. Um, they are, you know, maybe they're trying or they're considering having children and are interested in, in issues of parenting. Um, so regarding your services for for pregnancy and childbirth um you know why would it make sense to to see a a midwife or choose a a midwife and and then maybe you know in what kind of situation do you think someone would be better suited for seeing Mm -hmm. a different practitioner you're asking for pregnancy and childbirth specifically okay so i think people who are who believe in their body's innate ability to grow a baby and birth a baby, mm-hmm. who believe that they want to take ownership in the process also and that they are motivated to care for themselves and to care for their bodies and to develop a relationship with their midwife um, based on knowledge and trust and support and love. Mm-hmm. And somebody who... Um, yeah, really wants to take ownership of that process also and develop an intimate relationship with a midwife. And and that shared responsibility part of it is also really important. Go into that a little bit more. Like, okay. what does that look like in, in you know, yeah. during a pregnancy, maybe give an example yeah. of an issue that comes up and how somebody is, you know, in, in your practice takes a more active role. Right. Or- One good example is that, you know, and if you haven't, ha- if you haven't been pregnant yet, you don't know this part of it, but in the beginning of pregnancy, there are lots of options in terms of initial lab tests and initial ultrasound options and genetic testing options. And what many women who have transferred to me from OBGYN practices say to me is that they were never really told what the tests were. They were really never given any options. They were just told, well, this is what we do. And then at a follow-up visit, they weren't really, the results weren't reviewed with them. They were just told everything was normal. And and many of my clients, well, all of my clients, want to have a more active role in that decision-making process. So I still offer, in midwifery model of care, we still offer the same lab tests and ultrasounds and exams that, that an OBGYN 
office would offer. We just talk about those things a lot more. We talk about what are the options, what's the standard of care in the community, what are the risks and benefits and alternatives of each option. And then I really expect my um, women and their families to go home and research those issues a little bit more on their own and then make an informed choice about what they would like to have done. So you're not in the medical model, right? But you seem to have like medical knowledge and, mm-hmm. and training. Like I, sure. so I'm I'm the total dummy. Like, how does a midwife become a midwife? Great question. That's a great question. So every mid every state licenses midwives differently. In New York State, most licensed midwives have a bachelor's degree in nursing and a master's degree in midwifery. So many people are familiar, more familiar with nurse practitioners. We have similar levels of education as a nurse practitioner. In New York State, midwives are licensed to care for women all throughout their lifespan. And we can order lab tests, we can order ultrasounds, we can write prescriptions. And I usually explain that we have a limited scope of practice, so we're not surgeons and we're not pathologists. And in New York State, we have to have collaborative relationships with other care providers and other hospital systems and medical systems so that we can make referrals as needed if women need that. So my job as a midwife in this community is to know what the standard of care is for maternity care. And that doesn't always include the midwifery model of care because many women in our community are in OBGYN offices getting the medical model of care. And so I want my clients to know what are the options, what are their girlfriends doing, what's happening in their girlfriend's OBGYN visits, because that's going to help inform them and it gives us things to talk about and we get to talk about what are the evidence-based beneficial practices that we perform in our culture around maternity care and what are things that we've just done for a long time that aren't necessarily beneficial so just to make i think you said it really well but uh, so if if a person goes with midwifery care Mm -hmm. they're 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 starting with the assumption that uh women can make decisions about their own bodies and that the natural process works mm-hmm. and you're going to let the natural processes work. And at, at the same time, like if stuff goes bad and mm-hmm. if things don't work, mm-hmm. it's not like, well, we thought everything was going to work. Then you can call in other providers. Absolutely. Absolutely. A lot of people say that midwives are the experts in normal and that we're the experts in detecting when something's not normal and knowing what to do about it. And we might not be able to manage a woman when something is not normal anymore, but it's our job to make those referrals and those consultations with um, physicians usually in that case when a higher level of care is needed. Yeah. And I'll give an example, you know, from my pregnancy with Cecilia. And I don't actually know if I talked about this on the podcast or not, but she was breached for the last Mm -hmm. several weeks of of my pregnancy. And um, and so, you know, Sean and I, Christina had some some decisions to make about what to do. Um, You know, we tried getting her to turn on her own, tried all sorts of things. And then what we ended up doing was this. I, I ended up going into a hospital. Christina helped me find an OB. She worked with this. She had conversations with this OB, mm-hmm. worked with him to c- connect him with me, mm-hmm. um, and and then ended up being there with me mm-hmm. while I had this OB perform what's called an external cephalic version. Right. <laughs> I got the name yeah. right, yeah. right? Yes, you got it. <laughs> um, and that was, you know, he, he actually... Um, 
turned Cecilia around from the outside. Pretty crazy. You should definitely YouTube a video of it. Maybe I'll put it in the show notes because it's kind of wild. Um, but I thought I think that's a great example of, yes. of that was a moment where, where that's not something that you yes. would do for me, but you were you connected me to someone who would. And we had lots of conversations if she didn't turn about then what we would do right. if she if she did stay breach mm -hmm. that's actually the perfect example you know for for a long time there's been this divisiveness in maternity care in our culture you know really women the majority of women gave birth at home you know before the 1940s or so and then it really transitioned by 1970 i think 99 percent of births were in the hospital what was really different in the united states versus in europe is that in the united in europe midwives who attended home birth before actually followed their women into the hospital when that big cultural shift started to change. In the United States, that didn't happen. Midwives weren't allowed privileges to continue care in the hospital. And so maternity care actually became very divisive between this medical model of care and this midwifery model of care. And now what we're doing as professionals is we're talking more about integrated systems of care because we know that within an integrated system of care, women and babies actually have the best outcomes. They have the best outcomes with licensed midwives who have collaborative relationships so that when a higher level of care is needed, that can be a seamless transfer. What we, we call it consultation, collaboration, and referral. And so in Whitney's case, we did collaboration. We needed a physician to help us with the extern external version. Mm -hmm. And once that was successful, we continued care. I, I was there with them at the hospital when we did it, but then Whitney, Sean, and I continued care together and we had we went on to have a beautiful home birth yeah. and that's the perfect example how an integrated system of care works really well for moms and babies and not that their opinion holds a lot of water with us but how do the insurance companies feel about the model mm, of care do they yeah. like it I can't say they like it. Unfortunately, in our in our culture, in this country, the politics of maternity care are really powerful. And unfortunately, it's not always what's best for moms and babies. I'm not a cynical person, um, but, but it's true. Thankfully, I will say that in our community, the insurance companies have come a long way with um, providing coverage for hospital birth, actually, or for home birth, I mean, in New York State, they actually have to. So that's one great thing about New York State. And so the insurance companies have been, re they've really come a long way, especially since I've started doing home birth in that regard. I think we still have a long ways to go. I don't think that insurance coverage or money should ever have to be an issue for women receiving really quality maternity care, and un unfortunately it still is. So if midwifery is for normal, mm -hmm. right, mm -hmm. does that mean that like under the normal model, uh, like you would be the go-to for all women's health, mm. right? Or True, that's such an exciting question. <laughs> um, because in your in certain countries in Europe, we when midwives are the go-to. They are the first step in maternity care 
for women. And then a woman is referred out of midwifery care for a higher level of care if needed. In our culture, it's really the opposite way. Women who seek um, midwifery care, especially out of hospital midwifery care, they're self-seekers. They, they've done their own work. They've been referred by friends. Um, I would love to see that cultural shift in our maternity care system where midwives are actually the front runners in care, primary care for women. And then we refer out as needed. That would be lovely. <laughs> Not just lovely, beneficial for the health of moms and babies, I think, also. Uh, so let's shift gears for a little bit and talk more about um, midwifery for, you know, women pre and, and, and mm. post child bearing yeah. years. Yeah. Um, you know, specifically, this is a parenting podcast. Drew and I, as mentioned earlier, have five daughters between us. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it, you know, and his daughters are, are a little bit closer, um, in age in terms of, of needing that kind of care, but, but talk to us about, you know, mm-hmm. how your practice works for your 14 year old client, right, your youngest right. one. Not every midwife provides well woman care, so that's something to think about also. And some, I just to follow up real quick on what Drew said before, some midwives actually work in really close relationship with physicians. So they're in the same office or they work in hospital-based practices, and they can go outside of what's normal. It just depends on their education and their skills and, and their collaborative relationships. So you will find some midwives actually practicing in higher-risk settings, I'm air-quoting, in higher-risk settings like in hospital-based practices. Um, But part of the well woman care that I provide is one of my favorite things that I do, and I can't imagine never doing that part of it. I I find it so rewarding. And I'm always talking to women who have daughters about how are we caring for ourselves? How How are we mirroring that for our daughters? And how is that transferring over to how they see menarche? They see their first period and how they, how they treat their bodies and how they start to build relationships with other people and with themselves also. So, um, some women will bring their young daughters in to see me just to talk about sexuality or to talk about their period if they're having some problems. And I think it's a beautiful opportunity not only for the mom to be involved and to talk about it, but also for young women to really embrace this part of our of our femaleness and really embrace it in a way that's empowering and beautiful and think about it in those terms rather than, you know, thinking about things like, you know, we used to talk about our periods as being the curse or we don't talk about them at all. And um, let's try to shift that paradigm into something that we embrace and feel really good about. Yeah. So, so I hear you saying like you, in a, in a way you know, you kind of help mothers and daughters have those conversations mm-hmm. with each other. Mm-hmm. Yes, um, and, yeah. mm-hmm. and then, and then also you are there to be a support just for maybe a, a girl on Absolutely. her own. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And also just teaching, to be honest with you. I mean, I teach women in their fifties and sixties who still aren't familiar with their anatomy. And, right. you know, we learn a right. lot more about driving a car than we do about our own bodies, to right. be honest with you. And the way that health ed is taught, at least in public school systems, it, 
I don't feel like it's really something that we're focusing on <laughs> in a healthy, comprehensive way. No, I just yeah. flashed back to my, I ha, I went to a Catholic school till fifth grade. Mm-hmm. So that was an interesting, we did have sex ed, but you can imagine what that was like. Yeah. And then in public, yeah, it, yeah. there's so much that's missing. It's so and, awkward. And also and, it's kind of an awkward mm-hmm. setting. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I, mm-hmm. I remember having they at one point they divide you up into boys Absolutely. and girls but right. you're still in a classroom right. with all your peers and I can remember and I was gonna say sorry this is TMI but I'm really not that sorry I remember <laughs> one of my teachers um trying to teach us about doing kegel exercises oh. to strengthen our pelvic floors and it was just like giggle central sure. no Absolutely. one took it seriously who even <laughs> knew what their pelvic floor was at that right. Point, right 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 yeah. so to be yeah. able to have a relationship one-on-one where you could explore that in Absolutely. more detail I think it would be really important um to a girl and and yeah so right teenage girls can you prescribe birth control for them Mm -hmm. if that's what they choose right you talk them through those options absolutely and so much of it is also about like really reviewing what are your options and you know what are the pros and cons of each option and what is your cycle like even just charting your cycle on a moon calendar and keeping track of when your bleeding time is and what your symptoms are I just saw a woman recently who has discharge changes all throughout the month is this okay to talk about on yeah. our podcast? And, um, you know, what she's experiencing is ovulatory fertile mucus. And she's in her 30s, her late 30s. And she talked to her last provider about it. And and the provider told her she probably had a sexually transmitted infection. So, you know, that's how long we can go with not really understanding our bodies. So I find it really rewarding to begin those conversations with young women about their cycles and about how to care for themselves and how to care for their bodies and what to do with, I'm just going to go all out and say it, right? Okay. What to do with pubic hair and menstrual products and all of that. And I, I love that part of what I do. And I think it can be so helpful for young women to just get a good start in, Hey, this is my body. This is normal. This is how I keep it healthy. And this is who I have a relationship with. If I need to go talk to somebody and have a question. Yeah. And I mean, I, like I, I was close with my mom and, and, and Mm -hmm. I'm still close with her and going to talk to her about a lot of things. And I hope I have that relationship with my daughters too, but there Mm -hmm. were still things that I did not want to get into with her at all. And I, I happen to have like a, a, some really awesome Girl Scout leaders that were not anyone's parents. So those were the women that I talked to about that stuff and what a powerful relationship. So yeah, I think it would be really cool for, um, for a girl to have that. Well, yeah. So, um, like, I'm trying to be a good dad, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, um, you know. You are a good dad. Yeah, well, I'm sure. Maybe most of the time, sure. <laughs> uh, well, so, um, I feel like this is, uh, like, these are conversations that are primarily between mothers and daughters, right? Mm-hmm. But, like, I, I want, I don't want my daughter to, like, think that, like, women are gross, right? right. Like, yeah. so I'm trying to figure out, like, what I want to hear from you is like, how do dads have, have these conversations? What kind of conversations with daughters and how? Sure. That's such a beautiful question because right. We do think of it primarily between moms and daughters. Right. But like Whitney said, we would, the boys and the girls would be separated in health ed. And, 
And ideally, I don't think that that would be the case. You know, we're, we're all humans in this world together and boys and girls are interacting all the time. And I would love to just it be more accepted, like when a woman is on her moon time, that she's probably more introverted and she might want to spend a little bit more quiet time alone in the bedroom and that that's perfectly normal and those mood changes around our cycles are normal. So I, I don't think that it has to be a taboo subject between dads and daughters. And I think the more that we normalize it and the more that we're able to talk about it, and that takes some internal work, right, for all of us involved. But the more that we can do that, the better for all of us in general. And I will add, too, on that, and not engaging in in shame Mm -hmm. about it, right? Like someone's moody, making a joke. Not that you would, Drew, or, or... but I feel like that's so common. But that's one of those common culture. things that we hear, like yeah. right that, right those those mood changes around our cycle. But really, it's you know if you're honoring your cycle and honoring those changes, it's not a shameful thing. It's a thing to be honored and respected, mm-hmm. and and not not silenced. Mm-hmm. Right, and that's yeah. I appreciate you talking like talking about the discomfort and the growth like i've never used the phrase you know moon Moon time time. or (laughs) honoring your cycle right like i i I mean i was raised with it being kind of a taboo and like there's some girl stuff going on Mm -hmm. and it's girl stuff and uh, we don't talk about it yeah like it's yeah exactly (laughs) and it's really like for for men it's safer and easier Mm -hmm. to stay in your in your lane Mm -hmm. right but -hmm. stay in your lane can quickly cross over to shame right Right like my lane is good and your lane is bad (laughs) right yeah right so you know you may be sending flowers or yeah things like that in terms of the first moon time and just honoring those times and those changes go a long way have you have you heard of any really great traditions that that parents mm-hmm. have have done to celebrate girls as mm-hmm. they kind of have their first period and yeah 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 there's there are actually I wish I had the names of them right off the top of my head for you but there are really some beautiful books um about creating those rituals and creating creating that environment or that culture around that time in mm-hmm. your own household I should I'll get those books too and you maybe you and, can list them on the podcast and and what's the quote-unquote normal time frame for that to happen with a with a girl mm-hmm. like not age nine to sometimes it does happen between age nine and 16 is okay. pretty yeah that's it's a wide range and mm-hmm. so much of it has to do with genetics and nutrition and activity and all of that mm-hmm. okay yeah okay so May 5th coming up is International Day of the Midwife. It is. Drew and I were talking before you got here about how it's Cinco de Mayo. Mm-hmm. We had we wanted know how to, to celebrate our, in midwifery. That was the appropriate <laughs> gift. Absolutely. I'm sure. So, you know, with that in mind, could you talk to us a little bit about myths around midwifery? That maybe you would like to dispel or, or Sure. Yeah. I think one myth is that midwives only do home birth. So that's that's a big one. And I think sometimes still in our culture, you hear about midwifery and you assume somebody's having a home birth. Um, so the majority of midwives actually attend birth in the hospital. And I think that's just because that's where the majority of our births occur in the country. So that's one myth. I was hoping you would share your mother-in-law's myth. <laughs> I will. I will. Yeah, my... I w- yeah. So my mother-in-law <laughs> love her. She's awesome. She's great. Uh, bef- when I first started, when she found out I was first working with a midwife, <laughs> she said that they were witches. 
<laughs> which uh, is hilarious to me, given who she is and everything. And then, and then she ended up coming to a very tense meeting slash appointment of, of mine, uh, one of my prenatal visits with with Vivi, and came away just like totally sold on the midwifery model of care and like thinking it was fantastic and everything but yeah so you're a witch <laughs> that's that's, <laughs> that's, that's myth it's a myth but it's a truth <laughs> no i'm just kidding you're not i mean it in like the kidding. best possible way i love witches yeah i mean it as a compliment <laughs> too. but 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 i think when people say that in a negative way they they think like you don't use science mm -hmm. you, we're uneducated right. we don't follow standards of care absolutely mm -hmm. um what are other myths about midwifery maybe you guys know do you drew do you have any do you had you heard any myths? i just heard you were witches and i stopped yep. listening mm -hmm. after that <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's a big one i think another one is people don't know if we're licensed people don't know if we're regulated um, people don't know that, um, we provide well woman care. A lot of people don't know that about midwives. Mm -hmm. Um, no, and I do think that you address some of those. I mean, even just in our conversation about mm -hmm. collaborating mm -hmm. with other medical mm -hmm. professionals, right. I think that can be one that people think they're just kind of off there on their own and, yes. and that they would, or that we don't like doctors right? or right. that we don't think any woman should go to a doctor or right. that we don't like hospitals. Yep. Those are definitely all myths that aren't true. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, so I guess last question as, as we wrap up, um, how can someone find a midwife and, and develop a relationship? That's a great question. There is, um, there's the Midwives Alliance of North America. They, they um, represent all kinds of midwives, and there's you know a little zip code search tool on there. There's also the American College of Nurse Midwives, and same thing, there's a zip code um, search tool there. In New York State, we have the New York State Association of Licensed Midwives, and, and there's another search tool there. So usually contacting those agencies that that um, represent licensed midwifery would be the best place to search for one. And then, you know, a lot of it is word by, word of mouth. Yeah. I mean, most of my clients know somebody who has right. seen me for well woman care, who has seen me for, for pregnancy and birth care. Yeah. And like mm -hmm. you said, there you could find a midwife at an OB office. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Anything else you want to add? Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks, thanks for celebrating International Day of the Midwife with us. Yeah, thank you for coming on and talking. Yeah, thanks so much for being our guest. Uh, thanks, Drew. Okay, thank you so much for uh, joining us, Christina, and sharing all that info with us about midwifery. So, Drew, let's do our person, place, or thing. Uh, what do you got? Okay, so my thing is punch balloons. Oh. What? You all, I feel like that's my general, like 50% of the time my reaction to your thing is what? Do you know what I'm talking about? No, I've never heard of, I don't even know what that is. Well, so I didn't know what they were oh. called. And now they're coming it to your brain. Just like you, There's the balloons that you blow up and then they have the big rubber bands and the wumpa, 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 yeah. right? So like my kid got one in a gift basket from a party, right? And okay. then the other kids got mad. Because uh, they love to fight. Yeah, because one kid has one thing and the other ones don't. And then the the first one got lost and they want another one. And they've been saving money and blah, blah, blah. So they're like, we want to buy one. So I went to our local uh, toy store, Treehouse, which mm -hmm. is awesome. The best. And they don't have them. 
Okay. <laughs> right? And now I'm like, oh, we told them we'd get them today. Did they know, did Treehouse know what they were called? Oh, you just have to go wumpa, 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 wumpa. And they, but they said they didn't have any balloon things. Okay. Um, I love learning the names for things like that that you don't punch know. Punch balloon. Well, I learned it when I put it into Google to try to buy it online. Yeah. okay. And if you buy one online, it's like a dollar each plus shipping, right? But like you can get 50 <laughs> for $12. <laughs> No. So I bought 50 punch balloons. <laughs> so if you know anyone that needs one. It's going to be I'm your go-to sure gift good. for, like, your kid's stockings are going to be full of punch balloons I Well, so the tricky thing is, like, I can't let them know that we have 50 because then they'll just keep yeah. cycling through. Yeah. Right? Um, right. But now, like, I, I've. Where do you store them? I've, In your closet or something? W- the attic is the place where things that kids don't see yeah. goes. Um, yeah. So that, that'll probably... I, I haven't gotten to that, but they, they arrived today. I need to get the mail before the kids do. It's so wumpa, awesome. Wumpa, wumpa. That's I love punch it. balloons is my Punch thing. balloons. Love it. Um, and if you're local and in Buffalo, I'll sell them to you. I was going to say, maybe we could do a giveaway. 75 cents a p- giveaway? Yeah, I paid like, $12 for these. <laughs> well, if we ever <laughs> want to do a giveaway, we could say... We can have a contest. One. That's what I mean. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fine. Contest prize. What, what's the contest? I don't know. We'll think of one. And the punch balloon will be the... <laughs> okay. The punch balloon will be the prize. All right. So my thing um, is a little bit self-serving, <laughs> um, but it is little a little free library. So I have a I have a little free library in front of my house. I am the steward. That's the name of it. I'm the steward of the library. Um, Wait, but Why can't you be a librarian? I think out of respect, respect for the professionals that are librarians, <laughs> they don't want to call them that, okay. um, which makes sense to me. So anyway, Little Free Libraries is essentially just just what it sounds like. It is like a box. Sometimes they're really beautiful and ornate. Um, sometimes they're just a box with a door and a roof. Um, well, I guess a box has a roof, whatever. Um, <laughs> anyway, you take a book, you leave a book. Um, we have one in our front yard and it's awesome. So I would recommend if you have the space, um, to have one in your, in your yard or in your neighborhood, like con- consider making one. Cause it's not that much work. And we have so many amazing conversations with our neighbors. Like we, Sean and my other, my next door neighbor were kind of skeptical. Like they both thought that it would get destroyed and stolen or they were a little bit unsure of how much use it would get. And they, and me, we've all been delighted by the use. It's it's fun. But the other th- cool thing is that you can go on the Little Free Libraries website and look at their map of libraries around the world. And I think it would be a really fun thing to do if you are traveling somewhere as a family to look up where the libraries are, where you're going, and bring some books Yeah. and do an exchange. And it's just kind of a neat way to see a different neighborhood or, or yeah, do something. I like it. Yeah, so that's my recommendation. Um, that's our show for today, right? Yes, it is. So don't be a stranger. Be in touch with us. And uh, best Facebook or email will get a punch balloon until we come <laughs> up with a better prize. Okay. Or not a better prize. You can't have a better prize. No. We'll have a better contest. Yeah. Um, you can find Just a Phase on Facebook at Just a Phase Podcast, on Instagram under the same name, and on our website at justafazepodcast.tumblr.com. 
Please don't forget to subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. And you can also leave reviews for us there. Reviews help other people find out about our podcast. So take a second and write us a couple lines. I mean, we're so good. You want to share this with the world. Totally. Uh, part of the reason that we're so good is that Just a Phase podcast is produced by Whitney Crispell. Our theme music is Urbana Metronica Wu Ya Mix by Spinning Merkaba, and we use it under a Creative Commons license. All right, have a good couple weeks, Drew. See you soon.